As warrior dads, we got to tackle a lot of things, but tackling low testosterone levels should definitely not be one of them. Uh, we need to keep our testosterone at peak levels, and that is absolutely crucial for all of us. So I'm sure you know all the horrible things associated with low T levels. If you don't, it's definitely not pretty. Uh, it's Google search away. But unfortunately, testosterone levels in men have been consistently decreasing over the last two decades. And it's actually one of the biggest conversations I have to have when working with men, which is why I decided to create the Warrior Dads Testosterone Booster Guide and Checklist. It's a free download. And all you have to do is go to checklist.warriordads.com. Uh, just download it, start, start implementing it, and start to feel the difference. So again, go to checklist.warriordads.com and get your free copy now. Being a dad isn't always easy, but it's the best thing I ever did. I'm constantly improving myself to be the best dad I can be through fitness, nutrition, mindset, and lifestyle. As fathers, we pass on many things to our children, such as our mindset, our habits, our attitude, and what we've learned along the way. Each of these will shape who our children are and who they will become. The Warrior Dad's mission is to help you become the healthiest version of yourself, to hone your edge, and to live with purpose. My name is Jim Bartomey, and this is the Warrior Dad's Podcast. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Warrior Dads Podcast. Today, I am really, really honored to bring Anthony J Johnson on to the Warrior Dads Podcast. He has a lot to share. He has an amazing story, and he is doing some amazing things for guys out there. So, um, you know, a couple of the other couple of the other guests that I've had, um, no, no, Anthony, highly, highly recommended him. So as soon as I started hearing more about him, I knew that he needed to share um, what he is about to share with you guys today. So do a quick intro, bring him on, and prepare to be uh, blown away. CEO, founder, and architect of the 21 Convention and 21 Studios, as well as the co-founder of the Red Man Group, Anthony Dream Johnson is the leading force behind the world's first and only panorama event for life on Earth as a man. He has been featured on WGN Chicago and in the New York Times number one bestseller, The 4-Hour Workweek. His stated purpose for the work he does is the actualization of the ideal man, a purpose that has led him to found and host the 21 convention across four countries over a 12-year time period. The mission of the 21 Studios is to create positive media for men and destroy the feminist establishment. Please welcome Anthony Johnson. Anthony, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Happy to be here, man. Thanks for having me on. I've heard a lot of very good things about you from Hunter Drew and a couple of friends. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. I'll have to thank them as well. Um, yeah. So let's just jump right in. I want to know, well, give, give everybody a little bit about your backstory, but then I want to, the first question I want to ask you is just, how did you come up with the idea for the 21 convention? Because I know... You were going to college for a little bit. Uh, it sounds like that didn't work out too well for you. How did you come up with this at such a young age? But then just, again, briefly go through yeah. your background. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's a really good way to put it to the college bit is yeah. a good way to start. So I graduated high school in like, what is it? I think May, something like May 5th or something, 2006. And then like a few weeks later, I went to college in Orlando, a couple hours from my hometown. I went to UCF, the college, the big one. And within a few weeks of being there, I was taking like summer classes. I was in the pickup community at the time, the seduction community, the pickup artists and stuff. And I was posting, I was going out, I was meeting girls, getting phone numbers, stuff like that, trying to get better with the girls, you know, 
that was a problem sure. for me at that age. But I didn't like that. I was like, oh, I like girls. I want to get better with them. So the community I was involved with at that point, that was the manosphere, essentially, you know, that component of it. I was posting a lot. And one day I had this wild no, idea what's the manosphere? to do meetup groups. You just mentioned that. What is that? Sure. Well, the manosphere is, I think, what your podcast would be considered a part of, um, whether or not you're, you know, explicitly aware of it. So the manosphere is kind of a very loose uh, network and organization of men on the internet and in real life too with events. And that's like basically podcasts, YouTube channels, websites, blogs, books, uh, organizations like my company that create media for men, that create education for men, that create uh, all kinds of podcasts and shows and content to help men be better men, mm -hmm. very loosely speaking. And that can be, and there's a couple of different uh, tribes within the manosphere. Uh, the pickup artist community, for example, is one of the oldest. That's been around since the 1990s. That was made famous in the 2000s by the book The Game, the New York Times bestseller, as well as the TV show on VH1 in like 2008, 2009. So that's one of the one on tribes. Another one that's gotten a lot of press over the years is the men's rights activists. That's another distinct group in the manosphere. They focus on like men's issues and father's rights and men's rights. Uh, they're criticized for not being very successful at that, but they have been around for a long time. And each one of these tribes in the manosphere, like the red pill is the one that I'm most involved with now, for example. That's another community in the manosphere, another tribe. Each one is, you know, involves a couple hundred thousand men. Uh, the red pill, for example, probably has about 400,000. The men's rights is four or 500,000 as well. Pickup arts community is kind of falling apart at this point, but it definitely was the largest. You could say it's probably over a million. Like guys were actively engaged in that community, in that sphere, uh, posting content, reading content, talking about it, or they're fans of it, you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And the fourth one that's pretty big is uh, the MGTOWs, who are like very loosely organized. Uh, they're all over YouTube. They're really dominant on there and different uh, websites and stuff. That's uh, men going their own way, if you guys have heard of that, or maybe your fans. Anyway, that's okay. the Manosphere. But my foundation in the Manosphere was the pickup mm -hmm. artist community. I found that in uh, late 2005. I was on the internet. I was going to a school dance my first time. I was nervous as shit. The girl I was going with was like really hot. I was like, oh my God, I'm going <laughs> to die. So I went to Google, I went to Google and I was like, you know, how to dance at a club or something. And through that, I found uh, Fast Seduction, one of the main websites for the pickup community back in the day. And then I found the Manosphere essentially because of that. Anyway, fast forward to summer 2006 and I'm at college. I've been there for a few weeks at this point. And I'm, you know, going out meeting girls, going to a few classes I had in the summer. And I had this idea to do a meetup group for young men because I was meeting older guys in the pickup community at that time. In Orlando, there was like a group of them called Top Layer. And that was very useful, but they were a lot older than me. I was 17 at the time. I was about to be 18 in August of that summer. But these guys had the same problems as me, but they were like 30, 35, 40 years old. Uh, friends of mine to this day in some cases. But they were from such a different generation, it was hard to relate in a way that was like useful and like learnable yeah. from them. So I was like, damn, what if I did a meetup group of some sort with guys who were like, maybe not 17, but were like 19, 20, 21, who were a little bit ahead of me, a little bit better with girls. And specifically, they understood why they were better. They weren't like the natural Chad Thundercock, like my local college, for like a fraternity or something. They just kind of like picked up girls and was good at it and couldn't tell you why. Someone who maybe had been in the pickup community for a couple of years and had learned the ropes, had learned the hard way, had done the hard work, had done the approaches, had done all the work for it. So that, those are the kind of guys I wanted to find. And I was getting better too. I wasn't good at that point, but I was able to get phone numbers and dates and stuff like that, which is a lot better than most guys who can't get any of that stuff. So I was like, if I can beat guys who are a little bit better than me, I'll learn from them. 
and that I can teach guys who are at my level or worse. And it's a, it's a really you know, positive thing. So I put that idea out there in a specific form on the mystery method, you know, mystery, the pickup artists, like this famous guy and young guys went apeshit. Young guys were really excited for it. They were very ignored at the time in the pickup community. So it was like a niche because at 17 years old and 18 years old, you don't have any money. So these, these pickup companies wanted, you know, to sell eBooks and DVD courses back then, you know, 18 year olds weren't buying them because these DVD courses were priced at like $500. And what 18-year-old kid has $500 to drop on a DVD set, right. not that many. So, yeah, I put this idea out there, and it took off like wildfire. Uh, it, caused, it caused like a whole uproar of very positive energy. It almost got shut down by the moderators in the forum because it was obviously a commercial thing, uh, in a sense, if we charge tickets for it. So they weren't kind of – I didn't work for them, so they were like, what the hell is How much were doing? the tickets? Uh, the tickets to the first event ended up being 40 bucks. so yeah. it was pretty cheap. And then it, if you were a Florida resident, it was half that. It was 20 so it was like really wow. expensive. And so I spent, check it out. So I spent the whole year. I, so I put that idea out there and some people suggested having a conference room, you know, hotel, have some speakers, stuff like that, rather than just a meetup like we were going to do anyway. And we did. And that is actually how the formation of the convention really started. Because my original idea was just a meetup group. It was called the Under 21 Meetup. Then someone suggested turning into some sort of convention with speakers. And I was like, oh, fuck yeah. That sounds like yeah. a great idea. So it took, a, it took a whole year of planning. We did it almost exactly one year later in July of 2007. It was the first event. And for a whole year's worth of work, I made about 100 bucks in profit. Uh, so I averaged like a little bit less than $10 a month. But, but you know, the fact that we pulled it off, I had no money at the time as a kid you know, to kind of back that up. And we collected cash at the door. So there wasn't even tickets online you could buy. We just had to take RSVPs mm -hmm. over email. And then people showed up, they bought a ticket, and that was it. And we had just enough to cover the expenses, the hotel room, you know, the audio, you know, guys, stuff like that. And then, you know, made like a hundred bucks. So it was kind of a little sweet, sweet story. But, you know, razor thin. It was like, holy shit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> three, three, less, three less guys that would have been short, like, you know, short money to right, walk right. the event. And what year was that? Um, the, first, the first event? The first event took place in 2007, July 19th to the 21st, 2007. And, and what happened from yeah. there? You had the first event and then did you have a great, did you have a good turnout well, or feedback? I mean, what, what happened? Yeah, we had excellent turnout. We had about 81, 82 guys or something like that show up, including the speakers. We had like mm -hmm. 10 speakers. So it was good. And it was interesting because most of the guys who attended were not from Florida. Like maybe 30 of them were from Florida. The other like 50 like had, fl had flown in from around the world, from Canada, Sweden, Australia, just, uh, all over, just all over America. Just to attend the event, not the speakers you're talking about. You're talking about the people attending, right? Yeah, wow. just attend. Yeah, exactly. We had some speakers fly in too, you know, from around like California and stuff. But attendees had flown in, yeah, from Australia. Uh, no one from New Zealand that year, but Australia, Sweden, Europe. How Canada. did you reach those yeah. people? Just the internet, man. It wasn't. It wasn't even. There was no marketing campaign or anything like that. It wasn't even designed as a business, to be honest. Like now, I'm this entrepreneur that I'm known, you know, known as with three companies and stuff. But it was really like a hobby project. Like I'm going to build this conference. There's no tickets you can buy online. I put together a website that I was paying for at the time personally, you know, under21convention.com. We had like a forum. People could discuss the, the event coming up and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And it wasn't designed as a business though. So actually it's interesting you mentioned what happened. Well, the event took place. We had it filmed for free. There was a volunteer kind of film crew that put it together. Very basic stuff, but they filmed it. And then the attendees were asking me on the way out, like on the last day, they're like, hey, when's the next one? <laughs> And it was actually, that was the first time by hearing that out loud from somebody asking me that, that was the first time I'd even considered doing another one. I was 18 years old at the time. 
And I just kind of bullshitted them. I was like, oh, it's going to be uh, next summer, same time. And then I was like, oh, fuck, I just committed to doing another event. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but you got a whole year to do and it. So right? it so. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I knew I could at that point because sure. I just done it. So it slowly started turning into a business at that point. Um, but it wasn't really until 2009 that I officially started taking it more seriously after the second event in 2008, you know, same time of the year, Orlando, mm -hmm. July. But every year that went by, we kept, you know, even in 2008, we expanded it. It went from being a two-day conference to a three-day conference. And then in 2009, it went from being a three-day conference to a four-day conference. In 2010, uh, we took it, we held it twice in 2010, and I brought it to Europe for the first time. And it was also 2010 that I dropped out of college. So I was in college from 2006 to 2010. And then in the early 2010, like January, February, I had failed how to start a business for the second time in a row. And that was the only class I'd ever failed. That was the name of a class. Or college. That was the name of the class. I swear to God, I failed it wow. twice in a row. How to start a business. I was the only student both semesters to actually have a business or ever own one in the first place. I was in the school paper repeatedly for this kind of stuff in Orlando because it was yeah. pretty big, all that, all that stuff. And yet I failed that class. <laughs> and that was kind of a calling card that, you know, I don't belong here. Like there's something really wrong with this. This is like out of a movie right. or some shit. You mean you, mean you don't like, belong Like I have a successful college. business. Yeah, yeah, in college. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. I was like, I'm not, I'm not learning anything. Like it's, it's a waste of time. Obviously, I don't need it to run a business. And I wasn't studying anything other than entrepreneurship that even interested me. Entrepreneurship was a minor in the, the kind of course track I had. And obviously, that was of huge interest to me. But the class was really frustrating because it was all like bureaucratic bullshit. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was distracting because even to the extent it was bureaucratic bullshit, like you know, managing, just navigating government stuff, I was like, uh, it would always make me think about my own business. So I couldn't stay focused on the actual course content. So I kept failing it. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, but and I, was, I actually went to every single class too. Like, you didn't even have to go. I still went to them. Wow. So it wasn't like, so, but anyway, yeah, I dropped out. No, no, I went to all my classes. Yeah. It was really rare. I'd miss a class for any class in college. I'm really, um, like you, like you mentioned, we were talking about before we went live here, um, dedication. Like when I make a choice in something, I commit to it. I go all in balls deep, no condom. Like I commit to it. And, uh, unless then until I need to pull out, um, kind of pun intended, right. I guess. But in this, in this case, I've been in college for four years and I was committed to being in it. I was just starting to realize I'm like, this is not, I have to make a different choice. I have to get out of this. Like I have to go focus on what's important right. to me. And what was important was the convention, was the company that was being built and expanding it. And so in 2010, people had been encouraging me to bring it to California, to New York, outside of Florida. And I was like, oh, that sounds boring. Like that's still in America. Like I love America. I love this country, but you can get on a flight, a domestic flight and fly to Orlando. Like it's, it's like one of the top convention cities in the world. So what's the point of doing it in New York? Like the same people are going to go to it that they go to Florida pretty much. So I decided to bring it to Europe. So in 2010, I dropped out of college. And within three months, we built a convention in Sweden, Stockholm, Sweden, for the first time. Uh, first time doing it outside of Florida. And never mind, like another, I never even been to Europe at that point. As a kid, I went briefly to Paris. But other than that, I never traveled like seriously abroad like that. Never mind bringing my business to another sure. country like that. How did you facilitate that? So that was how did that was, you? I mean, what connections did you have over there, or what? What made you pick Stockholm? I knew what. I knew one guy in Europe, and he lived okay. in Stockholm. He was a he was a speaker in two thousand eight. Um, so he had attended in two thousand seven from Sweden, and he was one of those guys. And then he had spoken in two thousand eight. And then I realized, and I wanted to bring it to Europe. I was like, well, there's only one human being I know in Europe. 
and that is this guy down. So I'm going to go to Sweden. Looked fine too. It didn't look like it was a problem. People had suggested London, of course, which we did later. We did two events in London in 2011 and 2012. But off the bat, I was like, I don't want to go to this continent where I don't know anybody. But this guy, I know. This guy I've known for a couple of years now. He's very supportive of the convention. Obviously, he had spoken at it and stuff. I was like, yeah, we're going to go there. They speak English. It'll be fun. And the women are really hot here. And sure as hell, they were. Like, they're, it's, Stockholm is amazing women. Wow. So, and yeah, I just I pulled it off. Dedication, man. It was really hard. Um, a lot of really, a lot of night sweats, a lot of tears, man. A lot of crazy ass shit. And you're, are you off. doing all this by yourself? Or you had uh, some other friends or partners that you kind of picked up along the way? Or is this, this is just all you, lone complete, wolf, all that? Complete solo. Complete solo, wow. lone wolf. Dude. Do you like working like that? Yeah. Yeah, but the company now is becoming so big that it's no longer really an option to, to do it. I mean, I still like, that's my preferred way to work is like this lone wolf, like go to war, one man army. But the company has gotten so big that it's no longer like possible. I think over the past probably 18 months, it's really become, it's just grown like yeah. big time. I have about 10 guys that work for me now at any given time. Uh, we're doing three events again this year. And the company last year did like 10 million views across YouTube and other platforms and stuff. More actually, if you count Twitter yeah. and stuff. So yeah, it's getting pretty wild. It's pretty awesome. That stuff. is, man. Congratulations. So you mentioned Thanks. 2010 uh, in Stockholm, right? Yeah. But yep. you also have kind of another interesting story around 2010. So I mean, it sounds awesome at this point, right? I mean, you're already you've yeah. done a couple conventions now in the United States, and now you're like thinking bigger, and you're saying, "Hey, I, I know someone in Stockholm. I want to bring it to Europe." But yep. Tell people about the other interesting thing that started happening in 2010 where, you know, you had 23 cents in your account and, 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 and oh, yeah. where's, so that was, and where um, was, <clears throat> I guess in your mind, looking back and reflecting, where was the disconnect or why, why did all that need to happen in your life at that particular, at that particular moment? Sure. So I think that was part of me just growing up and becoming a man. I mean, I was 21 years old at that point, mm -hmm. I think, right? Yeah, I was 20, I turned 21 that year. Or the year before? Yeah, I was 21 at that point. Um, so going to Europe, I mean, I was, I dropped out of college, went to Europe pretty fast. Like I had already been thinking about going to Europe anyway and doing the convention there. We've been talking about it, me and some of the speakers and stuff. But dropping out of college and failing that course, that, which led me to me dropping out, I was like, yeah, it seems to happen. So I guess there was some emotional trauma with that. I'd been in college for four years and leaving college was like a big deal. It wasn't like a huge deal, like someone who had been really taking it you know, super seriously, like in a medical or like law degree track or something. But leaving it was a big deal. I got a lot of heat from my parents for it, you know, and friends are really concerned and stuff like that. So I had to go against the grain. Like a few people were supportive, the speakers obviously, and like a few friends, but mostly people were very skeptical. Uh, obviously, this is risky. Um, I had been doing the convention for a couple of years at that point, but it was a local thing. It was Orlando and the people were flying to it. But yeah, doing two events in one year. So we didn't just do one. We did two that year. And then bringing it to Europe was like, holy shit, people were skeptical that I pulled it off. But sure, shit, I did. Um, so later that year, though, yeah, so we did two events. We did Sweden in June, and then we did Orlando again in July. So it was pretty fast. That's July, right? Yeah, it was July. Yeah, that's year. quick. Yeah. So what we were seeing, though, is kind of what you're getting at, I think, is that the company was never designed as a business. There was never a business plan it was literally not intended to be a business. It was a hobby project, the first one, in the first year of kind of setting it up, you know, and all that. And I was very young too. Of course, I had no, very little education and stuff. I failed how to start a business. 
literally <laughs> twice. Yeah. Um, I had no other real, you know, entrepreneurial experience. I had a small company when I was a kid, like detailing cars, but it was just like a side thing I did. So yeah, it was all, it was all run and gun, learning it on my own and I had no one working with me. So I think what you saw in 2010 is we were beginning, I was beginning to understand the fact that it was a business. I had actually incorporated it that year in January, you know, an LLC in Florida. And I guess I was coming to the reality, the fact that there was never a business plan for it or how to monetize mm -hmm. it properly. Like we had the tickets to fund the events, but the, the company was becoming bigger than the events. That's, I think that's the real, the root answer of what you're asking is that the, the event, the company started as the event. Those were the one and the same. And as time went on, you saw kind of the beginning of 21 studios at this point in term conceptually. So now it was a company that was putting on multiple events per year. Uh, and I wanted to do two again in 2011, which we ended up doing. So it was the accumulation of content, the accumulation of these videos, uh, the web properties, the websites, uh, learning how to monetize the videos, make money off them to support the company and turn a profit and keep it healthy. 2010 was the, the turning point, I'd say, between the event and the media organization that you see now, 21 Studios. I do consider the founding of 21 Studios to be July 2006 when I started organizing the first event. But 2010 is where uh, it started kind of forming in my mind that I was running a media company and an events company, not just a singular event that kept repeating itself over yeah. time. And that had, that had consequences and that had cost. And that's why later that year I was broke as shit. Uh, I think it was October. I had like 23 cents in my bank account. I had pretty much nowhere to sleep uh, almost and no, nothing to eat and I had no money. And the, the business account too, like negative $200 in it. So really I had less than 23 cents. I had like negative right. money at that well, point. You said nowhere to sleep. Where, where so were I, you sleeping? I ended, up, I ended up renting a space at a friend's house temporarily, like on his couch basically for wow. like two months okay. in Orlando. Yeah. Yeah. So... And my parents were still a couple hours away, but that house they were getting foreclosed on as well due to the housing bust and all that shit. So it was pretty, it was pretty, uh, pretty intense stuff. Yeah, being that I was what twenty two at that point, twenty one. Yeah, I was twenty two. How that about point. the money that you had previously made on the events in the U.S. and then Stockholm? Oh uh, man, events are a tough business, man. I mean, we make profit on events now typically, but dude, like most events, most people drop. I've seen so many Manosphere events rise and fall. Because they are incredibly, any event, any industry is hard to do events, conferences like this, unless you add on endless amount of bullshit upsells. So if you go to like some real estate conference, for example, they're going to have like unlimited workshops, like money making magic secret right. bullshit for $15,000 for three hours in this little room with some dude who's going to slide the secrets of the world. We don't do that. 21 convention is a really premium core badass truthful experience like i'm dedicated as fuck exactly like probably i think hunter told you and that's one of the reasons me and him get along so well he's very similar so uh no events do they they often lose money like they lose money or break even really lucky. um yeah dude events think, are tough i, th I think people tro some, probably look at them in a different way they're probably thinking to myself they're probably thinking to themselves like well you know oh, i yeah. paid you know, I paid X amount of dollars to be here and they're looking around the room. You know, it's like what people do at a wedding. You know what I mean? It's like, how, how yeah, much do yeah, you think yeah, this yeah, dish yeah, costs? Yeah. You know, like how much do you think this whole wedding costs? Like who, yeah. can, who gives a shit? You know what I mean? But, but yep. people do that. Yep. And it's like, you know, they think, all right, well, you know, I paid like 300 bucks to be here or a thousand dollars to be here. And like how many seats are here roughly, you know, yep. there's gotta be like 400 people here. They're like, man, they must be cleaning yep. up, you know? Yeah. It's, sometimes it's like that. Rarely is it like that. And the only time it's usually like that is when you start an event for the first mm -hmm. time. Sometimes you have like an initial, like we had that in the beginning, like initial, like high turnout. And that was why the event was able to pull off with a small profit.
uh, even though the pricing was like way too low, for example, we should have charged a lot more even the first yeah. year, but we didn't. I didn't know any better at the time. But yeah, events have, events have an incredible amount of cost from insurance to security to filming to photography to audio to staff. I don't even pay myself, honestly. I still, I still don't pay myself. Um, I've never paid myself to do a conference in 12 years. I just do them for free. I'll work 20 plus hours a day at the conference uh, before the event, leading up to it, during the event, and then after the event. Uh, I'm, we're, a couple, we're talking like a couple days here at a time. I'll work 20 plus sure. hours a day. But yeah, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get one hour of sleep a night. That's one of the, one of the reasons the speakers respect me so much, like uh, Hunter, for example, and George Bruno. They see what I go through to pull this off at times. And I don't have to work that hard at this point, but I do. Because I'm dedicated as fuck to the bone for it. And I'm dedicated to making it the best event and the best experience and the best product possible. And that's everything. So I'll, I will go, even if I don't need to, I will go above and beyond. I will work 20, 21, 22 hours a day uh, repeatedly, days in a row, with no sleep and just suck down coffee and suck it up and go. Because to me, it's a war. I'm fighting like a culture war and a gender war. So it's really important to wow. me. Hang on, I gotta move into another room here. My sister's getting back. I gotta, she still lives with me. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. You guys are so close. Um, yeah, I have two sisters. The other one's pregnant, so I'm gonna be an uncle. Nice, soon, congratulations. Apparently, apparently. Yes, first time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so. Wow. Okay, so so you're <clears throat> so you're having a, a hard time trying to find place to sleep, and you, you're yeah. you got a little bit of money in the bank account, and you just finished. Oh, you said this was in October, so you just finished. Um, yeah. Another one, another event. So you just got finished doing two events, one in Stockholm, one in Florida, like back to back months. Yep. So where do you yep. go from there? I mean, what, what's, what was the turning point for you? Or, I mean, obviously you have this amazing, dedica amazing dedication and drive, but yeah, what was it, the thing that turned it around or how did you pull off the next event? Or maybe it wasn't even the event that propelled sure. you into, you know, the next thing. Yeah. So a couple things, uh, I was so broke, I couldn't eat. So I had to uh, call my mom up and ask her for 20 bucks, just to, like, you know, send me in my bank oh. account. And thankfully she did. And I was able to buy eggs and cheese that week and then drink like tap water. And you water. said she was going so through I was a able to, like, survive and I, That 20 yeah, bucks was probably a lot yep. to her. Yep. And I could have, she wasn't the only person in the world I could ask for 20 bucks from. I had other friends, of course, I could ask. But I was trying to keep it, you know, private. I don't like dumping that kind of stuff off of my friends unless I'm actually going to, like, sure. starve. In this case, I called her up and it worked out pretty quick. It wasn't yeah. a huge deal. But I mean, it, it, you know, it wasn't a huge deal looking back on it. But at the time, it was a big deal for me. Like, holy fuck, I can't even feed myself. I'm 20, 21 years old or 22 Absolutely. at that point. So I did that. And then I got a temporary job uh, working part-time at H.H. Gregg selling mm -hmm. TVs. I worked there for like six weeks in the winter. They're out, they're out of business now, ironically. And I'm still in business. <laughs> <laughs> Along with, yeah. All the, I actually worked for I worked for Circuit City when I was a teenager, and then Sears, and then H.H. Gregg. All three of now which are bankrupt. Yeah, I used to work at Circuit City in college. So, and then and there then you a go, little, and then a little out of college too. Yeah. What anyway, department? Um, so I, got, department? I worked there. The uh, well, in Circuit City, I worked, I started off in merch, and then I moved to TVs and laptops. Okay, and stuff. I did I did TVs, yeah. uh, computers, yeah. and then I was the yep. uh, the pog for a little while, the merchandising manager. So it sounds like almost okay. like the exact same yeah. thing. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, yeah, fuck yeah. I had a good time. Yeah. Um, so I did that though. And so the six, I'd worked there for six weeks and I told them I was gonna leave like January 2nd or 3rd or something like that. And they didn't really believe me. And then sure as shit, I was like, all right, I'm gonna leave now. 
and like, wait, what? You're serious? I'm like, yeah, like I don't, I don't have time to work here. Like I just need some amount of money. Like I told you. <laughs> so they were, they're actually very surprised. They thought I made up like running a business and stuff. And I was like, no, like and at night I was still working on the business. I'd work during the day there. And then in the evenings or whatever, you know, whatever I had my free time, I'd still work five, six, seven hours a day in the business constantly. I'm just like a machine, man. Like yeah. I just keep going. I'm really, really driven for, you know, what I love and what I care about. Um, so I worked there for a few weeks that got me a couple thousand dollars in cash. I was able to save up. And through that, I was able to put together the footage from the events in 2010 onto DVDs and put them into DVD packs and sell them out of Orlando, like drop shipping. And we sold a lot of, I know this is going to sound ridiculous in 2019, but we sold a lot of DVDs in early 2011, particularly I put like together a health and fitness pack for some of our health and fitness speakers that were huge mm -hmm. at the time. And that sold like dozens and dozens and dozens of copies, uh, the pack. And these packs were like 100 bucks a pop. So for the first time in the history of the company, we're starting to make actual legitimate money off the videos. Whereas before, they'd just been free. They'd been free to the world, um, which attracted attendees, you know, kind of like a TED mm -hmm. conference. We put the videos out for free and it would bring in attendees, but that wasn't really enough. That was barely enough to fund the events. Never mind, then how do you run the company the rest of the year? How do you run the websites? How do I... How do I feed myself working 10 hours a day in this company, sure. 12 hours a day? And, you know, all the, all the, how do I do the video editing? Who am I going to pay to do that? I can't do all that with that, that much footage. It's crazy. So uh, the DVD set, yeah, that's kind of, that was the first, our first real successful crack at monetizing the videos. And it went pretty well. That's obviously, you know, long gone now. I still live in my garage, some of the <laughs> yeah. old ones, but just the memorabilia. But yeah, that was 2011 was a good, uh, good time for DVDs. Probably the last hurrah. You could probably sell DVDs on the internet and it uh, went great. And that was able to then, you know, uh, pay off all the little debts we had for video and stuff that was able to get me back on my feet. And I moved back down to my hometown temporarily for a few months there and started putting together the next events. We had two more events then we had in 2011, we had the first one in London that was in uh, June, 2011, kind of repeating the previous year of Sweden, Orlando. And then we had another event in Orlando, and I think that was in July or August. It's kind of kind of similar timelines, twenty ten. Yeah. Now, is it a lot more? Is a lot it more was expensive a to do <clears throat> the convention over in London. I mean, obviously, you got to you know you're living in Florida, right? So you're doing the Orlando, the Orlando yeah. one. Yep. There's less cost even just for you to get to and from the event itself, you know. But going to London That's and right. then having everybody else go there, or you know, any of your support yep. group or anything, is it a lot less money than just doing the Orlando one, or? Yeah, I'll put it this way. It's not necessarily more expensive to do the events internationally, but the potential is there massively if you don't cover your ass with it. Okay. So back then, for example, we weren't paying speakers yet uh, in terms of paying their travel expenses. Sometimes you would, mm -hmm. sometimes you wouldn't. And for the international events, I'd just have to be like, hey, like, I'm not going to cover your, I'm not going to cover it. So if you want to speak, you're welcome to speak, but you know, you get all the benefits out of doing that. But I, for this event, I'm not going to cover uh, your flight and hotel, or I'll cover up to $300 of it or something So you like typically that. pay for the speakers so, to come to your events? Uh, at this point, yeah. I don't, well, I don't pay them. They're not paid a uh, fee, uh, kind of like Ted. Ted doesn't pay any other speakers ever. Yeah. Um, so we don't pay the speakers, but we do cover their expenses completely at this point. Oh, wow. Uh, typically. It's really rare that we don't. So we pay their, their flight, and then we pay for their hotel. Let me pay like Uber and taxi and like parking or baggage fees and shit like that. Oh, wow. Uh, so, yeah, that's what we do at this point. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, so, that's so 2011, that's what happened. And then after the 2011 convention, 
I met this uh, sweet little redhead off Plenty of Fish, the first woman I met off the internet. Yeah. And that ended up being a prostitute that I married. Uh, sort of. I've I've heard about this interesting marriage story. You have to you have to tell me this. This is. <laughs> Yeah. And everybody listening, I'll try to summarize kind of, it. Yeah, to summarize it because I know it was a little bit of a a lengthy span. Probably like you knew her from for like five five years, or yeah, something almost, like that, right? Like give or take, but almost yeah. almost five years. So yeah. for the people listening, hopefully you're sitting down or doing something where you're not going to fall over. But this, I, I got to hear the story. Yep. Sure. So yeah, if anybody wants the full version too, you can just go to YouTube and type "marrying Medusa" and you'll pull up the speech. Marrying Medusa. Um, okay. So it's a Mary Medusa, yeah, it's very clever, right? It's a two-hour, it's almost two-hour presentation. It's got like almost four hundred thousand views now, or something, and uh, you can watch it for free and all that stuff. So basically, I met this girl, uh, plenty of fish. I thought online dating at the time was stupid. I was old school, kind of pickup artist. I'd go out to bars and the beach and like malls and stuff, and I just meet girls, you know, wherever, and then I talk to them, get a phone number or whatever yeah. I'm gonna do, right? So online dating then still had kind of a stigma to it. And I was like, ah, oh, it's for fags. Like, I'm a, you know, the man, I'm like, God, me girls, like old school. Well, one of her speakers gave a presentation on it and it was pretty good. And I knew this guy was like pretty legit. And I was like, if he can do it, I can give it a shot. I'm just being stubborn or being closed-minded, right? So I did. And immediately I banged two girls off of it. I was like, wow, this is awesome. Uh, my roommates at the time were like, holy shit, like this guy's cleaning up. <laughs> Because it was literally back to back. It was like one night and then the next night. They were like, holy fuck. <laughs> so they actually ended up being friends too, ironically. You know, coincidence or you yeah. know, fate. A- anyway, though, so I met this redhead though, off there. And uh, try to summarize it. She basically ha- is a cluster B. And that she has a series of cluster B personality disorders. Uh, particularly bo- uh, borderline personality disorder. Uh, these are your crazy chicks from hell that you see, you know, in the news and stuff and something crazy happens to some guy. For example, there's that one teenager recently, this young girl who encouraged her boyfriend to kill himself. I don't oh, know if you saw that. What was this? She told him. Uh, I think that happened about a year and a half ago, but she's finally going to prison for it temporarily. Her boyfriend was uh, in a truck, like with the windows closed, breathing in the, you know, the fumes yeah. and stuff. And he was texting his girlfriend at the time, and then he's like, hey, I'm going to get out of the truck. And he gets out, and she goes, get back in. Wow. And he gets back in, and now she's going, I don't know what the charge is, but just shit like that, like really sketchy shit. Or when the girlfriend, you know, chops the guy's dick off or uh, just does some really screwy, yeah. abnormal shit. Like Dr. Kevorkian stuff or uh, Lorena, Lorena Bobbitt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not always violent. It's not always like that, uh, you know, next level. But the – well – it's not always like violent like that, but the intensity is always the same. So it might be something crazy, like encouraging some boyfriend yeah. to kill himself. Or in my case, it might be like rampant cheating and prostitution that was like very well hidden and, you know, a lot of dedication, kind of like me, for her craft and what she wanted to do. Wow. The core of borderline personality disorder, too, is fear of abandonment. So think about it in terms of a girl who has like really, really, really bad daddy issues and is really afraid of getting abandoned by any man she dates. Like it doesn't matter what the personality traits of the guy are, what his history is. It's all about her and her issues that are, you know, however long they're dating back to and whatever that stuff. Anyway, um, me and this girl dated for, you know, two and a half years. We ended up getting what's called like a private marriage, something that, something I kind of made up. My history in the pickup community and kind of the, the fallout of it, seeing that, the guys coming into it, the guys who were older, 40, 45, 50, getting divorced, getting divorce raped really. 
they'd come into the pickup community and they'd share these horror stories of going through the court system and stuff like that, child custody battles, alimony, all this stuff. And they'd scream like, never get married, never get married. And the way I interpreted it, I was like, well, I didn't really grasp the entirety of it at the time, but even at like 21, 22 years old, I was like, well, they, there's definitely a point here. Like there's something really wrong with the way the law system is working with this, the courts, like all these dudes come in and these, these horror stories are legitimate. And like, why are they getting treated this way? And then I found the men's rights community at the time too, which kind of doubled down on that, that family law is broken. Marriage laws are retarded. They are biased against men. So I was with this girl and I wanted to build a family with her. And I was like, well, how am I going to do that? Because I don't want to get legally married. That seems like a really bad idea. Like no benefits, all risk, just stupid in terms of a business contract. If you look at it like that. And I was like, well, what if we get all the mechanics and the function? Are you looking at just the state of Florida? uh, All over America, really all over the West. I think it's like this. Uh, But yeah, I was, so we were living in Florida at the time. We ended up getting married, sort of married in Nevada and uh, Las Vegas. Ha ha. (laughs) Um, That was actually like my idea. Believe it or not. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway. um, So basically what we ended up doing a private marriage, I kind of made it up. It was like, look, we're not going to get a marriage license. I'm never going to legally marry you, but uh, we're going to have a wedding in Vegas. Our family's going to come out, which they did, both of them. We're going to have a honeymoon in Hawaii, which we did for like a week. Uh, We traded rings, obviously, and vows. And then she took my last name. She went to the courthouse uh, a little bit after we got married and then changed her last name to mine. So most of the mechanics of marriage, minus uh, actually getting married and then being on the hook for that shit. And I looked up laws on like common law marriage and stuff like that, which were no longer in effect in Florida and Nevada. So I was pretty, I knew I was worried about that. And it looks like I was So you kind of just went through the motions of what a quote unquote marriage would look like, but then it's not necessarily legally recognized by the state. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Which to, which the pickup community and the men's rights, that's how I interpreted it at that age. I was like, what's the primary problem with this? I was like, it seems to be that once you get the government involved, you're fucked. (laughs) Or the minute there's the minute there's a problem, you're yeah. screwed. And that's so that's how I, and even on a personal level, I was like, why I'm the king of my castle, like I'm the man of this house we're living at. Why do I want to invite the government into my home and my relationship and the family I want to build unless there's a problem? Like it just seemed, it just seemed like a really bad idea. Like what is the purpose of this? Right. There's no purpose. It is nothing for me. And if they're gonna they're gonna out alpha me in a second if there's a problem, so mm-hmm. to speak. Anyway, we were married then in this private marriage thing for two years. And then one day I found out she'd been rampantly cheating. Then she confessed to uh, cheating a whole lot more of the entire relationship. Then she let it slip that she uh, had been uh, done some escorting back in like 2000, like early 2000s or something. And that was the key because I was like, well, what the fuck? Like, I don't know. Obviously, I don't know any of this stuff, but that part in particular really stood out. Did her family even know? So, no, they had no idea. Nope. Nope. I mean, they probably knew she was like a rampant cheater from past relationships mm-hmm. and stuff, but the prostitution, I don't think she held that really tight to the vest. Like she was very, very not about that being public. And you mentioned she wasn't like some kind of like corner girl. She was just like a, a higher end escort or something like that. Right. Or yeah, she called herself a high end, a high end call girl. Call girl. Um, and that was, and I, we actually, when we were talking about it, I was like, so you're a prostitute. And she was like, no, I'm a high end call girl. I'm like, so you're a prostitute. <laughs> Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, the hamster, right? The hamster's just endlessly spinning its wheels. So anyway, that little slip, though, is what uh, I told a friend about that who was a lot more experienced woman than me at the time. 
And he's like, yeah, given the rampant cheating and the fact that she ever did that means she probably never stopped. He's like, you need to look into it. And what you're probably going to find is that she's been doing it for a long time. And within 24 hours, um, we had like a shared phone account. So I went through our phone records, like on our phone account. And I immediately found like escort services and shit like that. And that was like during the marriage and the relationship and stuff. I was like, holy oh shit. Dude, what went, what went through your head? I mean, almost like thinking like, I was, what like I was, good, I mean, it was, dude, yeah, it was tested or something like that. I mean, well, dude, this was like, I found this. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah. Immediately I did the next, I think literally yeah. the next day. But uh, I mean, this was like in a span of 10 days, I went from being in what I thought was a monogamous marriage to moving across the state. Cause I was like, I'm fucking out of here. Like a bat out of hell. And then B figuring out she's been a prostitute for like 15 years or something. I was like, holy oh shit. Like, I married a hooker. This happened, like, in a week and a half. In Vegas. Like, yeah, in Vegas, ironically, I know. So it sounds like a, it sounds that, like a um, hangover story, but not quite. Are you sure they didn't base it off of your story? <laughs> they might as well have. They might as well Wow. Have. Yeah. So anyway, though, uh, yeah, I found that out immediately, and I was like, holy shit. And that really made me – I mean, first of all, I was really worried that I had a disease – so I went and got a full panel test and I found out a couple of days later that I was clean. I was like in tears, uh, literally like in tears. I was like, Oh my God, I'm not yeah, I, guess so. I, mean, that's like, I don't know how to be emotional. I don't know how it's either. crazy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's nuts. I mean, cause you think the odds um, are well against you. Yeah. I don't, I still don't really know what the answer to this. Cause we had, a, we hoped that we had sex like every day for years. I had made a commitment to myself before I'd even met her. I was like, I don't ever want to be in a relationship where I'm not having sex every day. Cause I was like, I just don't, that doesn't sound healthy and I don't want to do that. So that was kind of the, kind of the, uh, the operating mode of the relationship. Like we're going to bang pretty much every day. And we did for like four and a half years. Every day. Um, almost every day. Yeah. Like five, seven yeah. days a week. Uh, sometimes more, you know, you're in your twenties like that. Yeah. <laughs> still, still going strong at thirty. Still going strong. <laughs> but this, this chick too would be considered. Like some people say, they suggest I'm hypersexual. I'm actually very skeptical of that. I think being a young man, like you're super horny all the time, is pretty normal. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you've uh, got, chicks if you've are got very a good sexual testosterone level and you're taking care of yourself and eating some good food exactly. and you know yeah. moving your body and stuff like yep. that, yeah, absolutely. I completely agree, hundred percent. With her, I think she was more. I mean, it should be high, you know, because your testosterone levels are, you know, peaking. So, yep, yep, yeah. Especially in your twenties, like that. I mean, holy shit, you're like, you know, peak, yeah, peak prime. With her, though, I think that would be considered more like legitimate hypersexual, and that it it caused like real serious problems in her life, like criminal prostitution, you know, damaging relationships, you know, all that kind of shit. So we were banging every day, and then on top of that, she would, like, cheat and then escort. So this chick was just, I called it back then, I called it, like, a tornado of dicks, like a whirlwind. Like just... <laughs> so, I, I don't think yeah. at that point you really need to give yourself any more visuals. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, I was trying to map it out, you know, put an yeah, analogy to it. Yeah. Anyway, though, um, so a few months went by, and we were doing a convention then, the Under 21 convention in Orlando. That was in the spring, or was that June? That was June 2016. And I decided to give a presentation on that experience because people at the convention knew her. They were actually expecting her to be at the event. And they were like, hey, where's your wife at? And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> these people yeah. don't know. So I gave a presentation on it and jaws were dropping like for like two hours. Like, holy shit. Because, uh, yeah, a lot of the fans didn't know what had happened. I didn't talk about it much at that point. I'd been very pretty tight-lipped sure. about it. 
and then we filmed it. And then later that year, I put that out, Marrying Medusa, How to Survive a Female Psychopath. And that's gone viral. You know, it's done pretty well. It still gets viewed every day by hundreds of people, uh, thousands sometimes. Wow. So, and that's that. And that's that. that's uh, I've been single now. Yeah, I mean, How many years ago was that? Or she never did. did you guys break up? What year was that? Uh, almost exactly three years ago. The three-year mark was a couple of weeks okay. ago or something. February 2016. Oh, yeah. So just a couple, yeah, yeah. couple of weeks ago. Yep. I've been doing pretty well since then. I've been finding the Red Pill community really up to my game level, so to speak, my ability to succeed mm -hmm. with women. And uh, that was a major turning point. Because before I found the Red Pill community and that, that whole community and that concept, um, I had been pretty successful with girls from the pickup community, but it was mostly just picking them up. And then obviously I had that relationship was fucking bizarre. But my real success was very limited. It was like very narrow. Like picking girls up, same my lay, uh, fuck buddy status, and that's about it. And I didn't really understand women. I just understood how to pick them up at a bar or something or like the beach right. or whatever. So the red pill was the beginning in 2016 when I found the rational male, the worker role Tomasi. And I found the red pill community that I had seen before because they liked their videos. They would send traffic to some of our speeches to pick up stuff because like, oh, this is a good speech. And they would say, oh, it's not red pill, but it's pretty good for these reasons. It's got good knowledge in it. So I'd seen that community, but I didn't understand what the hell they were doing. I just thought it was like a random kind of men's group. I was like, oh, it's some subreddit. Cool. But anyway, that was the beginning in 2016 when I found that community, when I found the rational male of understanding women more comprehensively and more fundamentally. And that, that then has elevated my ability to interact with women. Um, I just banged a girl last night, a fresh single mom off uh, Instagram. Was you just awesome. what last night? Just oh, banged a fresh uh, single so mom. Yeah, that's what I thought you said. <laughs> yeah. I go through phases of banging like different categories of women. Um, single moms are some of my favorites. They're like really wild and sexual, I find. And then, uh, and very dangerous too. Like I have two friends who are now getting wrecked by single moms just like roped into these like toxic abusive relationships. It's horrible. So you're just, so you're not looking um, for relationship then you're just more looking for like from the pickup artist perspective. It's just like, you know, no, I'm definitely, I'm definitely in the lookout. I mean, I, I definitely want to build a family in my thirties or forties. Um, I don't know when that's going to start though. The it's slim pickings in terms of like decent women that are don't, that don't have like a huge laundry list of daddy issues and problems and trauma. Most girls now that you meet in America and stuff, at least from my experience, I've met thousands and thousands. It's pretty bad. I think, um, I'm in fact, I'm starting a convention in 2020 called the 22 convention, make women great again. Cause I think that women need positive media and they need leadership and they don't have it. And in the meantime, through feminism and stuff, they are just wrecking themselves. And a lot of that damage is irreversible. So I don't know how much of it can be fixed, but I think Gen Z can be kind of saved or at least steered in a more positive direction and give them an opportunity to make better choices. Whereas millennials and Gen X girls have just totally gone off the rails. Like, just what do you think the biggest? Show, what do you think the biggest opinion. contributing factor to that is, or what's the what's the best way to combat that? Uh, so the contributing factor yeah. to why that's happened. Uh, that's a good question. I would say it's a com it's actually a combination of a few things. So I would just say the toxic ideology and the hate movement of feminism. I think it's really inspired girls and women to have. Uh, I mean, hate men, you know, very bluntly, but also have very uh, distrust men to distrust masculinity, like positive masculinity, not just the nice stuff, not just dad pushing his little daughter in the swing set, but an alpha father, uh, a husband, a man who is a man for himself, uh, who doesn't just do what his wife wants and his or whatever, right? His girlfriend wants and is some little bitch. 
but leads his own life and leads his family. So, but on top of that, it's other stuff too. I think birth control for, for now, you know, in the 1960s or whatever birth control came out uh, for women, I think unilateral birth control for only their sex. There isn't like a real male equivalent yet. There's only just condoms and stuff and, you know, pulling out. Um, I think that has kind of shifted the sexual marketplace in favor of women too strongly. And that's why you see them now just soaking up all this attention on the internet and all this stuff and just getting out of control. Uh, the way dating has changed, sexual marketplace, all that. But I'd say it's definitely multifactorial. It's, you know, feminism, it's waves of this toxic crap that they're led to believe, all these, these they're like really bad ideas and like, you know, memes and stuff they're into. They're these like little truisms, strong, independent women, shit like that. And then on top of that, you just have uh, the ease of technology and you have uh, more specific technology like birth control, I think was a huge factor of it. And now women, I think, have really fallen. Men have too, in a way, but we're doing something about it. Men are more keen to self-improvement. Your podcast is an example of that, the men and the audience you have. And then the manosphere, which has millions of men in it. And that's been around since the 90s. Men have been taking it upon themselves to understand what's happening with feminism, understand what's happening with culture, and then how to improve it, how to improve themselves. Um, does that answer your question? You yeah, no, it does. It does. Oh, how to kill, how to, how to change that for women? Was yeah, like how to it? combat that. I mean, how to... It's tough. Yeah. So people, people think it's like a stunt sometimes that I want to destroy feminism and that I think I can do that for the next 30 years. But to me, it is possible and it can be done. Uh, greater challenges have been met. The, the foundation, the building of this country, the creation of it was, an, it was a good example of that. But uh, with feminism, uh, one of my methods is you have to drown them in media. So you have to win the kind of information war and the culture war. And you have to do that through everything that you can. Quantity of content, podcasts, videos, conferences, books, all that stuff, blogs. So quantity and then quality. Quality is something I'm huge on. I'm proud that 21 Studios is like the most advanced media organization in the manosphere and the best. The content we put out, the videos are like top notch every time. It's really nice mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah, I've seen the production the quality. Filming, it's really good. The audio. Thank you. Thank you. And it's, it's a priority for me to do that. Like I work hard on it. It's a major, we spend a huge amount of money mm -hmm. doing that. So, and then humor, entertainment, stories, passion, emotion, intensity, dedication. My speech about what happened with my wife is an example of that, my ex-wife. Uh, that was a very raw speech. Uh, no pun intended on that. <laughs> but you'll see that when, we, when people watch it. Like it's even right off the bat, the opening of it, it's like, you know, just triggers the shit out of people. But it's all real. It's all real and it's really savage stuff that you're not used to seeing in public. People keep this kind of stuff private. I'm like, nope, we're going to yeah. talk about it. I just, I just, I just like, you um, know, want to see like, where, where is that win-win, you know, where is the, where we're both playing for the same goal, you know, just, just say same thing with, you know, same thing with racism, same thing, same thing with religion, same thing with everything. It's like, you know, we, we're all inhabiting yeah. this earth together, men, women, yeah. different races, different religions, doesn't matter. You know I mean? We're all here. We're supposed to, you know, care for mother earth. She cares for us. It's like why? Why does there have to be this this tension? And yeah, I mean, so you know, you mentioned you mentioned yeah. uh, birth control. Anything that starts to play around with hormonal levels, because in my coaching, um, not just working with men, but also working with women, um, I've actually had to recommend that my some of my clients go off of birth control. And the the way yeah. that their body changes, the hormonal changes that happen, are for the better. But sometimes it's a little bit of a roller coaster while their hormones are starting to normalize. So. 
anytime you play around with the hormonal system um, or the nervous system or anything like that, whether it's through food that we're eating, water that we're drinking, uh, anything that we're consuming, and then, of course, pills, medications, mm -hmm. that can wreak havoc on the body, the mind, et cetera. So I really, yep. I really like what you said about that, but it's just, you know, like with the feminism and, you know, I, yep. I, I don't feel like, you know, we have to push women down and push men down and, you know, try to, we should just be building each other up, all of us, you know what I mean? Because. Well, feminism, believe, I agree with you, but feminism is the exact yeah. opposite of that. They think that for women to win, men have to lose uh, almost explicitly at times, if not outright, they say something similar to that, some approximation yeah. of that. So feminism is, you know, for example, there is no female equivalent of the manosphere. There is no loose body of networks and blogs and stuff that are creating positive content for women, positive media, positive education, That's none of that. The only thing you have is very negative stuff. You have the Oprah Winfrey bullshit and not even, it's not even Oprah specifically. It's like that whole, the view and all this, like all this crap with the magazines and stuff. Is that is it's that considered, toxic, I mean, I don't really watch nonsense. that kind of stuff. So I'm just, I'm, I'm just ignorant to that right now, just because of like, you know, yeah. not knowing, but is a lot of that considered negative? Really? Oh, totally. In my opinion, a hundred percent. I've never really yeah. watched Oprah, it but does I mean, very... I really love people, you know, of course, women love Oprah oh, yeah. and, you know, apparently she's supposed to be empowering if I'm not and mistaken, things like that. But I just, that's the first time I've ever heard it kind of being like referred to yeah. negative. Oh, it's to me, it's extremely negative. It's all, it's all, it's all fake front. It's all, uh. I mean, it's as negative as you can get. It's encouraging women to act like men. It's encouraging them to distrust men and to hate men and all these like really weird mm -hmm. things. For example, Oprah, I think, just signed on to some sort of conference coming up where they're talking about, you know, women's empowerment and battling the patriarchy and shit. It's like, what are you talking about? Wow. Like w women, women get the pussy pass in this country and all over the West, not just America and Canada and everywhere else. Uh, it's a shit show. I mean, you can, there's so many things women get passwords. It's just insane. Mm -hmm. The idea that we still have a functioning patriarchy in America is delusional. That's been gone for decades upon decades upon decades. I'm, I'm actually starting to rebuild the patriarchy, uh, so to speak, in, in Florida at the conference coming up in May in the spring. So the idea that we have this, you know, I mean, they'll use Donald Trump, for example, the president as a, you know, he's the patriarch, but it's bullshit. Yeah. Uh, it was her turn, right? They, were, they weren't just angry. One of our speakers, Rolla, talks about this. You know, 2016, it wasn't just Hillary's turn. Her turn meant like a woman's turn. Hillary was just the figurehead for that. And she was, of course, happy to take advantage of that, to use that. But they wanted a woman to be president just for the fuck of it, even though gender doesn't exist and it's a social construct. It's all delusional, contradictory nonsense. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's, it's, real, it's real toxic. And there is no positive voice for women right now. There's very little to hear outside of maybe their community and their family and stuff and their religion or something. Maybe. And even that's going out the window. So what I want to do with 22 convention in 2020, it's going to be the mansplaining event of the century. It's going to be 100% male speakers from the 21 convention in the Manosphere. Uh, Hunter will be there. I'll be there. Uh, Roll Tomasi, a lot of our guys. And it's going to be a convention for women, how to make women great again. No women speakers uh, are going to be there? In... Zero. Wow. Yeah, we're going to invite a lot of female speakers to be like VIP mm -hmm. attendees. Uh, Christina Hoff Summers, maybe uh, Janice Fleming, Flamingo. I forget how to say mm -hmm. her last name. There's a couple of female speakers I like that criticize feminism that I'll invite to attend and see what it's about. But we're intending, I think, given the state that women find themselves in and the state of the, the gender war, we call it, in the culture right now mm -hmm. in the West, I think men need to stand up and speak to women about these issues exclusively. And maybe in the future, we'll create a conference for women with women speakers, but that's not what this conference is. 
this is a conference for women by men. It's the things uh, that, you know, your father didn't tell you that your father should have taught you or your grandfather, perhaps, or that your mother failed to teach you. So we're going to try to help women become more beautiful, more healthy, more fit and undo the feminist brainwashing they've been taught as normal for decades. I like that. That's awesome. man. I, I never heard of genuinely never heard of anything like that before. So it's probably safe to say that this is literally mm -hmm. and I don't usually like the word literally because some people just yeah. use it very loosely but literally this is probably the first yeah. event like this ever you know definitely um, 100%. that's amazing i love it we're actually kind of worried that it's going to get protested and shit so i'm really trying to figure <clears> out <throat> we always hide that we we do a lot of with security and privacy mm -hmm. at the events for example the venue is hidden unless you buy a ticket for like you know a thousand dollars or whatever um but even that we're still kind of worried that this event's going to get picketed and protested by feminists and shit so hey man we'll they see. say that there is we'll no we'll, we'll figure it out you know you know, free, yeah. free PR, yeah. whether it's, uh, you know, perceived, I mean, Hey, you know what, at the end of the day, it's the intention, right? And if you, and, and yeah. you just said it right there, you're, you're trying to help women feel, be more beautiful, be healthier, more fit. And if this convention and the speakers and their message and things like that can do that and it can, yep. you know, help to you know, empower them or fill the gap wherever it may, may be. Yeah. Um, well, I think the gap that they lack is they lack leadership. And that's why you don't see a female equivalent of the manosphere where there's like very genuine self-improvement for women going on. That doesn't exist. Yeah. And this, this conference, one of the core intentions is to reach Gen Z girls eventually, right? As they go on YouTube and stuff, we put the videos out and then reach millions of them, hopefully. Yeah. But also it's to provide leadership. I think women at the end of the day, they have to take care of their own stuff. We can't fix them. Only they can fix themselves. But to do that, I think they need leadership and they need like a match. They need like a kickstart yeah. to do it. And that's, that's the intention behind the 22 convention. You know, I don't know what it's like to be a woman. I have no idea. I've never been a woman. I never will be a woman. Right. But I can look, I can observe and be honest about what I see. And so can our speakers. And we can speak raw truth to that. What women are going to do with that. And I, we'll think it's, I think it's worth mentioning that it's not just women and, and maybe younger women. I don't know if you're specifically targeting younger women because of like you were saying the gen, uh, gen Z, is it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just not convinced older women, like say a 33 year old millennial woman. I'm not convinced that her capacity, I'm not convinced of the probability of her changing the course of her life and improving her life. It's possible, but it typically doesn't happen. Right. And, uh, I'm not that confident yeah. it will. I hope so. I hope they do. Like, you know, I hope to God that they do, but I'm just, I'm more, I'm more concerned about girls who haven't done the damage yet at 18, 19, yeah. 20 that are going to go into their twenties and probably slot it up on Tinder and shit if they don't take a different course yeah. of action. And I, like I was saying, say though, I think it's really important to mention that if this isn't just, you know, obviously you've been doing this for men since, you know, two thousand six seven. you know, so, so it's like, yeah, men need this too. You know, so it, that, that's like the Absolutely. clear message. And hopefully, because I, I do have female yeah. clients that listen to this podcast, actually, too. Um, you know, and thank you yeah. to everybody that listens to this podcast. But the thing is, is that, you know, men need this, too. You're talking about the leadership and you're talking about the role models and you're talking about this. Young guys yeah. need this, too. You know what I mean? Because you're looking at, I mean, and this is, oh, yeah. we could do a whole other podcast episode on this, you know, of, you know, the, the, the examples that these young guys are getting and then, you know, what social media is yeah. doing. So you're mentioning like Tinder and YouTube and all this stuff, just what social media is doing mm -hmm. to our younger generation. And, you know, I have a six-year-old 
son and it's just like i'm trying to teach him this kind of stuff and like what the dangers potentially could be and why instead of just saying no giving him a reason and helping him to actually connect a good reason that he can see i was like okay well this can affect me in this way so he's not just saying no just to be an asshole dad he's just saying he's giving me context and giving me a reason and i think that's really important with anything whether it's with food or activity getting them to invest in the why and the reason behind it is so imperative and a hundred hundred thousand percent agree so i mean i just anybody that's listening to this or uh, you know anybody that does listen to this and that finds out about it in 2020 about this 22 convention it's like we're not Mm -hmm. just you are just not picking on females you know saying like oh you guys gotta come to this convention because you have no you have no leadership or anything like that it's like well guys don't either it's just the times and we just just leadership is something that's needed it's always been needed but it's just lacking and then same with everything you know what i mean just yeah and so people criticize me they're like why don't why don't you do a convention called make men great again it's like well yeah, you're just doing that. Uh, doing that yeah, it's just a title. Years. It's just marketing. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter what the hell yeah. the name of the event's called. It's the purpose and it's the intention yeah. of the event of what you're trying to do. Yeah. And you've been doing that. That's so, right. like, would that make people happy? I mean, just have someone attend one of your events. You could you could basically call oh, yeah. it that or you don't have to call it anything. And they just show up and the message is there already. <laughs> well, the name the name is a placeholder and it has – you're right. It's it's not the – the name is not fundamental, but the name is still important because it encompasses like what yeah. we're trying to do. So the 22 convention, for example, that's not super important, but it is obviously a playoff yeah. that we already do. And then I also think about it kind of like DNA. I see XY and then XX, 21, 22. I'm like, all right, close enough, something interesting. But then also make women great again. I think that's a very good thrust that women need. Obviously, that is playoff political, you know, movements right now in the country. Yeah. That's fun. It's not like a really, it's not a political event, but uh, I think it's a good thrust, and it's very, tri- it's very challenging and very triggering. I get, I get positive feedback from both Hillary voters and Trump voters with that. I wear the hat actually that says "Make Women Great Again." I get some negative feedback too, but mostly it's just positive and curiosity. Well, you know, because uh, they don't, they don't know what to make of it. You know, you know? I, I, a lot of people don't do. In my opinion, a lot of people don't do enough work on themselves and checking the ego and, and, and really yeah. really coming to terms with your ego in most cases is some of the most challenging work that you could probably could do on yourself. But it's some of the most important work, too, because if you can set your ego aside and look at what the event mm-hmm. or whatever we're talking about could actually do for you, or the potential benefits, instead of just, mm-hmm. you know, uh, judging it right away and then just having your ego jump right in and puff out your chest. It's like, yep. just if you can let that go for a second and you can see really what could, how yep. could this could benefit you? Well, women right now, I think in America and the West, they're very off put. They've been trained to have a knee jerk reaction to any kind of male criticism, including constructive, constructive criticism. Yeah. So for example, one of our speakers about a week ago, AJ Cortez, he put out a tweet on how to be a beautiful woman. And it was a 12, kind of a 10 or 12 point checklist, just some basic things like be feminine, be graceful, uh, you know, be in good shape, uh, listen to men, love men, like really ordinary stuff. And it went super viral and triggered like this army of feminists. It's got it hit. It's so far done over 55 million impressions on Twitter. What was the main argument? Um, it hit made, a man telling me how to be beautiful. Yeah, they just went ape shit. Yeah, exactly. They just yeah. went ape shit on them. Um, I mean, they went it's gotten 15,000 comments of people just screaming at him, death threats. He's, he's gotten everything in his inbox from like death threats, threats of violence to nudes, wanting girls wanting to fuck them, hate fuck them. Like, it's been pretty Jeez. wild. 
but it was his you can check out his list just type how to be a beautiful woman and it'll pull right up and it's amazing like, but what we're doing with 22 convention then is going to be massive and he just took that much heat from putting out a tweet <laughs> on some real base on some real basic tips for women like listen to men love men be graceful be feminine uh you know be in good shape like just basic stuff they can't they they're really they've been so deeply in, entrenched and brainwashed by this feminist crap that how dare a man have standards and voice that in public? You know, women do that all day long on their dating profiles. They have endless checklists of stuff, but a man puts out a really simple one. And, oh God, oh no. You know, the, the patriarchy is coming back to, to demonize. They're just destroy everything. It's delusional nonsense. Yeah. I mean, he's, and he's saying like, listen, you know, you look, you have to look at the, what he's saying too. He's not saying like, you know, yep. wear, wear a black thong, <laughs> you know, or, you know, no, walk around with that. heels yeah. or anything like that. It's just like, you know, it, doesn't I think really the most controversial thing he said, he, he said, wear pink and feminine colors. It's like, oh, no, oh no. Like, all these girls were pink pussy hats anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, there, there are more feminine colors. I mean, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't usually paint a little girl's yeah. bedroom, a little baby girl's bedroom blue. You just, you just, yeah, you just typically black. don't. Yeah, we're black. You know, it's like, and there's nothing wrong yeah. with that. You know what I mean? Is it yeah, wrong that right. Barbie wears pink? I mean, yeah. Yep. Well, the feminists, the feminists are at war, I think, with basic biology. Like, they hate the fact that men and women are different. This has been obvious in common sense for thousands of years, but they hate that fact because they hate reality. Yeah. They hate the reality of what they've been so brainwashed that they just can't stand, like, basic science and biology and, like, you know, basic, even psychological differences between men and women. Like, they don't want to yeah. hear it. They're just, uh, they've been so entrenched in this crap. It's horrible. Wow. It's got to end. Yeah. Well, dude, you're doing you're doing an amazing hey. job of trying to end it. So I, I hats Thanks, off to man. you, and um, yeah, I really appreciate you coming on the show. But as with every interview, we yeah. just have to end with ten questions. And these we, these questions okay. were inspired by James Lipton and Bernard Pavo. And um, I've already kind of given you the rundown. So you ready? Yeah, yeah. Let's see what I can do. <laughs> Who is your hero? It's a toss-up between Steve Jobs and Ayn Rand. Okay. What excites you? My work. I am absolutely obsessed with my company and my work and what I do on a day-to-day -day basis and year-to-year -year basis. I love it. What turns you off? Feminism. What is your favorite sound? Uh, man, I don't know. I don't usually think about stuff like uh, sensory stuff like that. Maybe uh, something with nature, either something in nature, like being out in like a park or something, real quiet, or a woman moaning or something like something like that. Some combination of those two things. I guess they're both nature. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you go. What is your least favorite sound? Uh, hmm. Probably nails on a zipper or like that kind of, I don't know what to call it. Something with nails and like not a chalkboard, but something similar. Okay. What is your favorite quote or saying? I have a lot. One of my favorite ones recently I've found is from Martin Luther. And that is uh, peace if possible, truth at all costs. I found that a few months ago and uh, I really love that. And that's, that's really uh, fundamental to what I do with my company and how I operate. That's nice. I like that too. Now, I know you don't have any children, but you work with a lot of men. Mm -hmm. And with the work that you're doing, in a couple words, what should a dad be? A dad should be a man, above all. And he should be a man for himself. And through that, he should lead his family, uh, his wife or the mother of his children, and then his children by extension. 
but he is a man above all and a man first, then the father, then the husband, but a man above all. And in a couple of words, what should a dad not be? He should not be a woman. He should not act like a woman. And he should expect himself to act like a man and women to act like women. And that goes by extension to his children. He needs to teach his children to uh, embrace their own nature as a male or female. Nice. If you could try any other profession, what would it be? I have no idea. I don't really plan. This is what I love, man. This is all I do. This is my, my only job, real job as an adult has been the CEO of this company. And it's hard to envision doing anything else. I love it that much. Okay. And finally, what would you like to be remembered for, Anthony? Never compromise. That's what goes on my tombstone. Never compromise. Nice. Anthony, tell everybody where they can find out a little bit more about you and 21 Studios, etc. Sure. There's a couple main websites they can check out. The first one is going to be youtube.com slash 21. So it's youtube.com slash 21. That'll pull up 21 Studios on YouTube. We're about to break 200,000 subscribers any week now. The second most important website they can check is the21convention.org. That's the21convention.org. That is our main event, our website for events. We have three events this year in 2019, the spring, summer, and fall. And then we have at least one or two planned for 2020. And finally, they can follow me on Twitter at BeachMuscles. That is beach, like going to the beach, muscles. And then Instagram is the same thing, BeachMuscles65 at the end of it, 65. And that's it. Well, this was a great interview. I loved having you on. I really appreciate you taking the time. I truly do. Um, and uh, I hope maybe we could do it uh, round two at some point later on down the road or something like that. I love it. This has been awesome, man. This has been a great Thank podcast. You. Appreciate that. Yep. Cool. You're Thanks welcome. Have a good man. day. All right, bye. You too. Hey, guys. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Warrior Dads podcast. If you like this podcast and want to support it, please subscribe, leave comments, and share it with someone you think would benefit from listening as well. Thanks again, and keep on being a warrior dad.